Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Martin. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! We are going to be in the book of James chapter 1 today uh, as we continue with this series entitled Alive and Well. Let me right out of the gate remind you of the premise of this series. It's, it's super simple. Uh, faith without works is dead. And we want your faith to be alive and well. Uh, we don't want you to have a dead faith. We don't want you to have a false faith. Uh, we don't want you to have a faith that's dormant, just waiting to do something. Uh, and we don't want you to have a faith that a lot of people in this world have. It's a faith that's barely hanging on. It's, it's almost a faith that's on life support. Rather, uh, we want, and, and I believe God wants, our faith to be alive and well, uh, to flourish and to produce fruit no matter what life throws our way. And, and so last week, we looked at how to keep our faith alive and well during uh, times of trial and suffering, when, when bad things happen, when things don't go our way. Uh, today, we're going to look at keeping our faith alive and well when temptation calls. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that James writes this book about having a living, active faith, and he starts out the book in chapter 1 by talking about the two things in our lives that will derail our faith faster than anything else. When trials and sufferings come our way, or when temptation calls and we succumb to that temptation. Uh, so out of the gate here, I want you to understand um, that we use those words kind of synonymously, trials and temptations, but they have different meanings. A trial or a test in our faith is, are these moments that God uses for our growth, uh, for us to draw closer to Him. And we know that trials come in many forms. They typically come from an outside force beyond an individual's control. So illness, fire, accidents, job loss. Temptations, though, by comparison, uh, are internal. They begin within ourselves. Individuals can be tempted with that which is individually tempting to a person. So we all have different things that tempt us, right? You put me in a room full of cocaine, no problem. I have no desire. I, I have panic attacks. I would freak out if I snorted some blow. But, you know, you put me in a room full of pretty girls, I've struggled with lust. Uh, you know, as men, many men do. So, uh, you know, temptation kind of is customized for each individual person. So some people struggle with stealing, with lust, with lying, and, and you could fill out the list. So I would say it this way to begin. Uh, tr trials come from outside circumstances, while temptation to sin comes with, from within ourselves. And so last week, we opened up by talking about donuts. Uh, we talked about Krispy Kreme, so I thought it appropriate to talk about donuts again. And we'll talk about Dunkin' Donuts for a minute. You've heard the old story of a man uh, who was on a diet, and he was struggling. And he knew he had to go downtown. Uh, and as he started out, he remembered there was a Dunkin' Donuts on his route to downtown. And as he got closer, he thought to himself, you know, a cup of coffee would really hit the spot. But then he remembered his diet, and so he prayed this prayer, Lord, 
If you want me to stop for a donut and coffee, let there be a parking spot right in the very front of Dunkin' Donuts. And he said, sure enough, I found a parking place right in front on my seventh time around the block. Uh, you know how temptation works. Uh, Robert Orban says this, most people want to be delivered from temptation, but would like to keep in touch. And so allow me to state the obvious today. My faith, your faith, our faith will never be alive and well if we don't learn to overcome temptation. Um, there's, a bit, there's a study out, and, and the study basically says that uh, most people are still struggling with the same sin today that they struggled with 20 years ago. We, the enemy knows what we like. And so James is going to give us some advice here when it comes to temptation. His advice is, you better recognize. Um, I used to say that phrase a lot in the 90s. It might have been a regional phrase in the early 90s. You better recognize. Um, you would say that to someone when you wanted to acknowledge your authority. So something like, son, uh, you don't talk to me like that. I'm your mama. You better recognize. And so how do we keep our faith alive and well when temptation calls? We have to recognize. And James is going to give us this strategy for overcoming the deadly lure of temptation. Um, Stephen J. Coles, Cole says, to overcome temptation, we have to recognize its source, its force, and its course. Isn't that cool that they all rhyme today? Source, course, and force. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the source of temptation to begin with. James starts in verse 13 of chapter 1. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Now, we could all look at the, the very first part of that verse when it says, let no one say when he is tempted. All of us can give testimony to the truthfulness of that statement. Everyone is tempted every day of their lives. Temptation is this common experience of every human being, non-Christian and Christian alike. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says that temptations are common to man. One ancient writer said that even when we are saved, we must remember that our baptism did not drown our flesh. Temptation is common to every man. Every man is tempted. And so it's as common as air. It's, it's all around us. It's in us. We are surrounded by it. And when we are tempted, we have a tendency to play the blame game. Um, this happens in my house a lot with the, the remote control for the television. Um, it's always missing, the one in the living room. And so I'll get home and, and, and you know, want to watch sports or something, and I'll, I'll be like, where's the remote? And I'll go to, Jay, do you have the remote? Reagan, do you have the remote? Cal, you know, I'll go through the kids and, and they're like, no, we don't, we don't have it. And they all blame my youngest, Hazel, because she's six. She's like the default button for blame. And so I'll go to her, uh, do, you, do you have the remote? No, I, I don't have it. And so I get frustrated and I'm blaming the kids for losing my remote. There's, you know, a man's remote is, is almost sacred, right? And, uh, until I find the remote up on the fireplace mantle or in some drawer and remember that I hid it there in the first place so the kids wouldn't lose it. It's the blame game. 
And James is going to tell us not to play the blame game right out of the gate here. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. God cannot tempt with evil, nor does God tempt anyone. I want you to understand that God is not the source of your temptation. God doesn't tempt us. And it's easy to play the blame game and blame God for our own sin. And here's what we do. We rationalize. We say things like, well, God is sovereign over all things. And so he is sovereign even over my sin. So how can I escape from from doing it? Besides, he promises to work all things together for the good. And he could could have stopped me, but he didn't. So what could I do? It, It wasn't my fault. Well, that's simply not true. He is not the source of our temptation. But we've been playing the blame game ever since Adam and Eve fell into sin. In the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis chapter 3, you know, you have that account of Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit and succumbing to their temptation. God comes on the scene. He already knows what they've done, and he wants to have a conversation with them. So he starts by addressing Adam. Like, hey, you know, you you knew you weren't supposed to do this, and and you did it. I want you to see Adam's response. I want you to see the blame game here. Genesis 3.12. The man said... The woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. In other words, listen, things were going great in the garden. I was doing what you told me to do. I was working. I was naming the animals. I was loving life. And then you created, you put me to sleep. I woke up. I had a missing rib. And then this woman was here. She's the one who gave me the fruit. It's not my fault. It's on her. Men have been playing that game ever since, right? Well, so then God looks at Eve, and he confronts Eve, and look at her reply in verse 13. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent. It's the serpent's fault. He deceived me, and I ate it. In other words, I'm a victim just like my husband of something else that you created. I was in this wonderful garden, and all of a sudden, the snake showed up. I didn't make that snake. You did. I didn't make that snake talk. You did. You see the the blame game here? Dodging personal responsibility for sin. Adam and Eve, answers really blamed God. And James wants us to see that if we go down that route, we will never overcome temptation, but rather we will impugn the holy character of God. So if God is not the source of our temptation, who is? Well, we can still play the blame game, right? We can blame the devil. Yeah? That's the devil's fault. This was before my time, but if you grew up in the 60s and 70s, um, you may remember the comedian Flip Wilson. Flip Wilson had this variety TV show, uh, and he would do all these mischievous things, and every time he did something mischievous, he would use this phrase, the devil made me do it. Well, that begs the question, can the devil make you do things? Can the devil make you do anything? I would say no, because that would argue against free will. The devil can lure you, he can lure me, he can tempt us, but he cannot make us do anything. That that is a cop-out. James is going to tell us here in verse 14 that temptation actually comes 
from our own sinful desires, from within ourselves. He knows what they are, so he uses them against us. But they come from within ourselves. Look at verse 14. But each person is tempted when he or she is lured and enticed by what? His own evil desire. Here he wants us to see that to blame God or circumstances or the devil or others for our sin is to dodge the real source of it. To label it as a disease or to absolve myself from the responsibility of it. There's no hope for overcoming temptation unless we acknowledge, hey, it comes from my own evil desires. And to overcome temptation, it's important to realize that although the initial thought of Sin stems from my own sinful flesh. It's not sin unless I pursue it. So I'll give you an example. Not that I read magazines anymore. I mean, who, who, that's paper. Who uses paper anymore? But if I were flipping through a magazine and I came upon a picture of a seductive woman, the thought would probably pop into my mind, wow, she's beautiful. She's quite a woman. Well, right there, in that moment, I face a critical decision. Will I go farther with that thought? Entertaining sinful thoughts of what it might be like to have sex with such a woman. Or will I turn from that temptation, close the magazine, put it down, and, and, and do something else? And so James's first point is very simple. To, to overcome temptation when it comes in our lives, we have to recognize its source. It doesn't come from God. It comes from within us, from our own evil desires. Yes, Satan does tempt us, but he uses the desires of our flesh that are already there to do the tempting, our own evil desires. Let's stay in verse 14, but we'll move to point two. Recognize the force of temptation. Look what he says in verse 14, but each person is tempted when he was lured and enticed by his own evil desire, and then verse 15, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. I heard a commentator say this about this passage. He says, wise parents do not let their children play with dynamite. Why is that? Because they know that it is a powerful and a destructive force. And so temptation is this huge force that we all have to wrestle with. And in, in verse 14, when James says, by your own desire, you're lured away and enticed by your own lust, he's painting a word picture here for like a fishing lure. And I know we've got some fishermen in here. You, you know how a fishing lure works. The fish sees the bait and he's... It lures him in thinking he'll get a meal. Instead, he gets hooked and gets carried away and he becomes the meal. And temptation to sin is like that. You know, we think that sin will satisfy us. It'll get us something that we're missing, but instead it hooks us and drags us to destruction. And you see this illustration in nature. Uh, One of the largest freshwater turtles in the southeast is the alligator snapping turtle. Uh, This bad boy can grow to be up to 250 pounds. Uh, They diet primarily on fish, but if they get really hungry, they'll eat small alligators. These are some tough turtles. 
the alligator snapping turtle relies on a very unique and deceitful method for foraging fish. The turtle will lie completely still on the floor of a lake or a river with its mouth wide open. And at the end of the turtle's tongue is a small pink worm-shaped appendage. And the turtle wiggles the end of that tongue so it looks like a worm moving through the water. When the fish comes to eat the worm, the turtle closes its jaws rapidly and the fish can't escape. So think about that. Similarly, similarly, uh, likewise, (laughs) the snapping turtle's lure, temptation comes in the disguise of something desirable, but it always carries destruction with it in the end. You know, if we could see the end result of our sin rather than the tempting part, it would be far easier in life, wouldn't it? It'd be far easier to resist. If, If you could see... That one night affair destroyed your whole family. Your children hate you. Uh, you, you. You may be more apt to not do that. But you don't see that, do you? We, we, we just see, um, we see the shiny object, the thing that we, we want to grab. There's always this deceptive element to temptation. The word for lust in that passage there is in the Greek is the word epthumia. And it... it it's the word, it's the strongest word used for lust. It's a word that carries this, the strongest inward passion and desire of the soul. Temptation is this very strong and deadly force. Look at verse 15 again. This is interesting. It says, then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. And so when you look at verses 14 and 15 together, here's what James is saying. Your lust can actually mate with your sin. They can conceive a baby, and that baby is death. So lust and sin get together. They have a romantic relationship. The net result is death. James pictures lust and sin being able to conceive birth. Now, I believe strongly in my heart that aborting babies um, is straight from the pit of hell. I I believe that uh, the Bible speaks strongly against aborting babies. But when lust conceives, we need to abort that baby as soon as we can. Right? So we've all seen a tree growing out of a sidewalk uh, where it's kind of just jacked up the concrete pretty bad. It began as a tiny seed falling into a crack or falling right beside the sidewalk, but that seed had life in it, and the power of that life produced a tree that broke up the sidewalk. Temptation has that kind of destructive life in it. Don't let it take root in your life. James says it brings forth death. Now, what he's referring to here is not physical death. What is referring to here is what the Bible calls the second death. Um, we say this all the time around here, but let me, let me remind you of this. We use this equation. In your life, you're either born twice and die once, or you're born once and you die twice. And let me explain that real quickly. All of us are born physically, right? We, we, we are all conceived in the womb. All right, so we're all born once physically. Well, in John chapter 3, <clears throat> 
Jesus tells Nicodemus, hey, you've got to be born again. There has to be a second birth. So you have a physical birth, you have a spiritual birth, and then you have the physical death. You die once, and then you go to heaven. But there are those who are only born once. They're born physically. They reject God, so they don't have that second birth. Then they have the physical death like all of us. And then they have what the Bible calls the second death. That's eternity away from God. And what James is saying here is that when your lust and your when our lust and our sin procreate, the net result is eternal uh, eternal spiritual separation from God, the second death. So to overcome temptation, we recognize the source, our own sinful desires. We we recognize the force. It's this powerful deception by the enemy. And then we recognize the course. Again, I would refer you to verse 15 of the text. He says, Then when desire has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. <clears throat> what James is showing us here is that sin is never stationary. Right? You can't leave sin here and escape it. Why we're in this body, it's going to follow us. It's going to be around us. It moves steadily in the course towards its ultimate hideous end, death. So it's like a small crack in a dam. At first, you see it doesn't look threatening. But if you don't repair it quickly, it can lead to the collapse of the entire dam, causing terrible destruction. And so at the outset, temptation always promises excitement and fulfillment. It never comes along with the pitch, hey, would you like to destroy yourself and your family? Would you like to disgrace the name of your God? Rather, it comes with the enticement. This will be fun. This will meet your needs. This will get you what you've been looking for. What can it hurt to try it? And if we take the bait, we're on a course that leads to death. You've heard the old sermon illustration a million times, so let me, let me make it a million and one, of the captain who was on a battleship uh, on a, uh, a foggy, dark night, and he saw light in the distance, and so immediately he told his sig signalman to message the other vessel, alter your course 10 degrees to the south. Well, reply came back and said, no, alter your course 10 degrees to the north. Well, the captain was furious, and he sent another message. He says, alter your course 10 degrees to the south. I am a naval captain. Soon the reply came, alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I am a seaman third class. The captain sent a final message, alter your course 10 degrees to the south. I am a battleship. And the reply was, alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I am a lighthouse. And so we have to recognize that the course we're on with our temptation, it's a course that leads to death. And Jesus came to this earth to do what he did so that he could alter the course of our lives. Okay, so you've got the source, the force, and the, and the course of temptation. Let, let me just take a few minutes here um, and give you some application points. Like, how do I fight temptation when it comes, right? How many of you have, have fallen to temptation? Okay, good. And if you haven't raised your hand, you, you have fallen because you just lied right there. All of us. All right, so what do we do? 
You know, when temptation comes, uh, let, let me give you, give you five things and trust these are quick. Uh, number one, as simple as this sounds, you got to pray. Now, I know what you're going to say to me. You're a preacher. That's your answer for everything. Pray, 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 pray. That's all you talk. Pray. You, you've you've got to pray. Because hear me, apart from God, you're not strong enough to resist your temptation. That's why Jesus had to come. Because none of us were. And so apart from God, we cannot do it. Remember in Matthew chapter 6, the disciples came up to Jesus and they said, hey, how do we pray? Teach us to pray. And the net result of that was the Lord's prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know that, that whole prayer? Well, look what he says in verse 13 of, the, of that prayer, of the Lord's prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So Jesus, in the model prayer, is modeling for all of us I would say on a daily basis to pray about what tempts us. If we don't pray, we might as well give up. We're going to fight the same thing year after year after year, decade after decade. So we've got to start by praying. Lead us not into temptation. Number two, know yourself. Nobody knows you better than you, except maybe God. Know yourself. There's a phrase from the art of war that goes, know your enemy. You've heard me say this a, a hundred times probably. You're your own worst enemy. I'm my own worst enemy. Knowing the enemy is a crucial aspect in any battle. And in the Christian life, we have many enemies, one of which is our old corrupt nature that still lingers within us. Okay, we still live in the flesh. Paul says in Ephesians 4.22, you were taught with regard, regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. Leah Ball writes this, it may, be, it may seem odd, but we must make a study of ourselves, personality, circumstances, disposition, and life experiences are all factors that make us more susceptible to certain kinds of temptations. How can we be on guard for something unless we know what we're looking for? Portia Nelson has written this, uh, this article, it's actually a book entitled The Autobiography in Five Short Chapters. I'm going to read the entire autobiography for you. I'm going to read all five chapters to you. Chapter one. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It's not my fault. It takes forever to find my way out. Chapter two. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it there. I still fall in. It's my habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It's my own fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down another street. 
we have to know ourselves. Nobody knows what tempts you more than you. Nobody knows what tempts me more than me. And we are weak and prone to fall. And so we have got to go another direction. Number three, we need to learn to recognize temptation. I think a lot of us recognize, we just pretend we don't know what it is. Temptation is, well, tempting. It presents something to us that's pleasant, true, or both. We want to give into it because it presents something that pulls on our desires and it seems good. So we have to recognize temptation. There's, a, there's an old legend of uh, a Native American boy who was 13 years old and he had to go up on a mountain to spend the night by himself. That was kind of the test of manhood that he could survive up on this mountain. And so it was a long, cold night. He woke up and he was packing up to, to come back down and uh, he turned and there was a rattlesnake there. And the rattlesnake began talking to him, which freaked him out. And he said, hey, I know I'm a rattlesnake, but I need you to do me a favor. Uh, it's cold up here. I'm cold-blooded. I'm dying. I need you to pick me up, put me underneath against your skin, walk me down to the bottom of the mountain, and release me. If you don't do this, I'm going to die. And he said, oh, you're a rattlesnake. I'm not going to do that. You're, you'll bite me. And then your bite will surely kill me. And the rattlesnake says, no, I, I'm desperate. Please. And so against his better judgment, he picked the snake up, put him under his shirt, walked all the way down the mountain, released the rattlesnake. And the rattlesnake, was the, the blood was warming and, and he was feeling himself again. He put the rattlesnake down and he turned to walk back to his tribe. The rattlesnake coiled, rattled, struck and bit him, injecting deadly venom through his blood. And the little boy turned around and said, but you promised. And the rattlesnake simply said, you knew what I was when you picked me up. We have got to recognize temptation. We know what it is when we pick it up. Number four, this calls for us to take preventative action. And I don't know what your preventative action is. It's, it's different for everyone. But if you know certain situations will bring you temptation, you stay away. For some, it's not going into bars. For some, it's not going online. For some, it's not watching certain movies, not being around certain people. But take preventative action to avoid those things. In the Old Testament, you've got this guy, Joseph, who is actually working in his boss's house. This is an extreme paraphrase. His boss, his name is Potiphar. And he's in the house working, and Potiphar has this hot wife, and she comes to Joseph, and she says, hey, you know, he's away. Uh, you know, let's, let's, let's get frisky. And, and Joseph, he, what does he do? He runs. He, he, he flees. He takes preventative action, uh, and he runs out of the room. There's a sheep rancher in Montana. Her name is Lexi Lauer. And she's tried everything. I was reading this article to get rid of coyotes from uh, carrying off these little lambs and, and, and killing them. Um, she's tried odor spray. She's tried electric fences. She's tried it all. She even slept with her lambs during the summer. Um, but nothing worked. One year she lost 50 lambs alone. Well, then she discovered the llama. 
Uh, llamas are crazy looking animals to me. They're, there's these uh, aggressive, funny looking animals. But I don't know if you know this, uh, llamas aren't really afraid of anything. Anything, excuse me. She said, when they see something like a coyote, they put their head up and they walk straight towards it. That aggressive behavior, as far as the coyote is concerned, that is aggressive behavior as far as the coyote is concerned, and they won't have anything to do with it. Coyotes are opportunists, and the llamas take that opportunity away. Apparently, llamas know the truth of what James writes in James 4, 7. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We don't have a llama to protect us. We have a, a lion, Jesus, the mighty lion of Judah. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. And then number five, this, this is it. Especially if you're like right in the middle of it, we always have to remember there's always a way out. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In other words, God never allows us to be tempted beyond what we can take. But he always provides a way out of that temptation. Augustine, who was this great theologian, uh, before he was converted to Christianity, um, he lived with a mistress slash maybe a prostitute. You know, in his confession, you don't really know. But he, he lived with this woman of ill repute. Well, he was wonderfully saved, and he, wanted to, he was done with that relationship, and he was walking down the street, and this mistress saw him, and she shouted his name, but he just kept walking. He saw her, but he kept his eyes straight forward, and he walked. And she continued crying after him, and she ran after him, and she finally said, Augustine, it is I, to which he replied, I know, but it is no longer I. There's always a way out for the Christian. We are no longer us. We are children of God. He also has given himself without limit for us to call on his strength for resistance and endurance. He says both in Joshua and in, in the book of Hebrews, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He also gives us his church a community of fellow fighters to help in our battles. And we need to take full advantage of these resources that God provides so we can effectively turn from sin and be filled more and more with the goodness and the grace of, of God. This is really serious because, I, as, as I said to you in the beginning, um, we won't make it. Our faith will not make it if we don't learn to overcome our temptations. So we recognize the source it's not from God, it's from our own internal lust. We recognize the force. It dwells within. It's powerfully deceptive. And we recognize the course. If we don't abort it, it leads inevitably not to life, but to death. It was the Puritan Thomas Manton who put it this way. Either sin must die or the sinner 
must die. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.